knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals, and super excited to have Ashley back, because last week you weren't here. We had our, we had our episode with, with Tyler about Calvin and Cerritos. Did you listen to that, Ashley? I did. It was great. I didn't realize how little I knew about, like the only, like I, I guess I, I don't know too many people in real life that are like extremely anti-Calvinist, so I've never in real life heard someone actually bring up Servetus. I've only heard it mentioned, so I I knew very little about it. And I thought, man, Tyler knows a lot about the whole Servetus thing. So yeah. it was very and interesting. When I was doing research, it was hard for me to find everything kind of in one place. And so that series he's been writing has been really good. He's got two more. And I just thought he did such a good job on the subject. I said, you need to come on. I have spent time in some Calvinist Arminian debate groups and it's a very big, you know, there, there's a, there's a cartoon out there where it's like the Calvinist says one verse and the Arminian tries to say something else. And the Calvinist says another verse. And then the Arminian says, Servetus, you know, <laughs> that's often what it feels yeah. like. So yeah. I, I think a lot, and I've actually had people write to me and ask me recently had a gal you know write to me and say one of her family members you know said well calvin wasn't a good guy he was a murderer and stuff so it's something that definitely does come up and huh. we've gotten some good feedback from that yeah from that episode so so ashley are you reading anything yeah i am okay what are you reading yes okay so um well i'm always reading like five things but yeah me too <laughs> Okay, I shouldn't say reading because I listen to Audible. You know Audible, like mm -hmm. the yes. Gosh, I feel I like I'm doing that. a promo for them. Um, so I use Audible um, because I work. I drive about 30 minutes to and from work, and mm -hmm. so it's a good 30 minute chunk where I like to be listening to a book, podcast, whatever. Anyways, so I listened to this book by John Ronson. Do you know who John Ronson is? He is a journalist, secular journalist. Um, oh, yes, I do know who he is. He did, like, The Men Who Stare at Goats. Um, he did Psychopath Test, um, which I I read. And I just listened to his book about, so it's called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of about this, like, modern phenomenon where someone will post something really dumb on Twitter. Like, they'll make a really bad joke, and then someone will pick it up and it gets retweeted a million times, and then that person loses their job, and their name is plastered. So this happens like every couple weeks, if not every week. Someone does something dumb, and then the masses of Twitter rise up and mm -hmm. you know make sure that this person's life is ruined. And so he kind of is exploring this phenomenon, like why are we doing this, you know, and he, he comes to a conclusion that we do this um, because um, we want to feel better about ourselves. So if someone says something dumb, we want to feel better about ourselves. And I was like, I couldn't agree more. It sounds like you're talking about total depravity, but of course, right. you know, he wasn't. Or high um, school. <laughs> yeah, right, right. 
And then, so I was like thinking about this, like, why do we do this? Like we share it on Facebook, we retweet, we, oh, look at this awful person. Look what they did. You know, they took this picture or whatever. And then our Scott Clark, of course, Dr. Clark, posted an article this week about how we are addicted to self-righteousness. And so, so I'm not going to talk about the current events that are going on, but there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, um, as the, our listeners know. And people are posting all over social media, like, this is wrong, and, you know, this person did this, and they're horrible. Have you heard of, like, the term virtue signaling, Colleen? Yeah. Yeah, so people are doing vir virtue signaling like all the time. It it drives me nuts. People are like, this is where I stand on this issue that is happening. And really what they're doing is saying, look at me. Look how righteous I am. Look at how great I am. And look at this person. Right. You know, they are just, you know, awful. And I cannot believe they stand for this. Um, and I, I just, I can't. I can't see social media in any other light. I know there's positive uses, mm -hmm. but when I scroll through like my Twitter feed, I just see this constantly. Virtue signaling. Just, you know, look at look at how great I am and look at how terrible this person is. So what I think you're describing happens in our circles too. This is not yeah, just something oh. the secular. In fact, sometimes I think we're best at this, yeah. this sort of thing. I, I'm thinking right now as you're talking about kind of a in-house debate in between a certain theological persuasion, I won't say which one, and and what happens, <laughs> oh, I got to be careful what I say because then everyone will figure it out, but, <laughs> but it's this sort of thing like, you know, look at that, look at that group over there and what they're doing. And then they, they, they actually put this derogatory label on them. And mm -hmm. we aren't like those guys over there. Yeah. And it's to the point where there's this small little group that looks at what this other small little group, I mean, they're small, but they get a lot of attention, but the small little group looks at what this other small little group does. And, and, and they almost, I, I really, I said to somebody, I said, I'm pretty sure they read everything that that group does looking for what they can criticize yeah. and say how they're not like them over there. Right. And this, the theological label that this group would give themselves, it's kind of, okay, it's not reformed, it's something else, but it, they would, it would be like, we're the real reformed people. Right. Yeah. Self-righteous. Like them yeah. over there. So, I mean, yeah. really, what, what you're describing is really you know, it is a problem in our own circles and even the shaming. Yeah. And it's all, it all boils down to like, you know, self-righteousness and John Ronson in his book makes the point that it's not like, there's like this mob on Twitter that's just waiting for someone to mess up, you know, someone to post something that's off in some way um, so that they can like, get their pitchforks and, you know, retweet, you know, a million times. And John Ronson makes the point that it's not, it's not other people that are doing this. We are doing this. Like we reshare those articles of look what this person did. Like it's not some other, it's Christians, it's, you know, secular, like it's, and it, it just makes me think about, you know, if I'm going to share something, like, could I, like, could I be leading to this person losing their job to, you know, and it's just, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have such a low view of social media, but after reading his book I, or listening to his book, I was just like, man, I know social media has its merits, but we do a lot of crummy things as totally oh, depraved God. people on social media. And I, I, I really think our Scott Clark put the nail on the head when he said, we are addicted to self-righteousness. Uh, we're just constantly like, look at me. It's kind of pharisaical, you know, like how the Pharisees would be like, yeah, I'm so glad I'm not like those other people, you know, as they right. stood on the street and prayed and stuff. And so we're not standing on street corners and doing it. We're doing it, you know, on our Facebook pages and Twitters and Instagram um, instead. Um, but it's the same thing, you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. So.
Okay, I'll well, step off my soapbox now. <laughs> definitely something I think we as Christians need to think about because I see so much of this sort of, so much contention among Christians, and it's often because of this sort of behavior, really. Yeah. So I'm about, I was talking to you a little earlier, and this kind of in preparation for a guest we're hoping to have on, and I'm going to start reading his book, Living in God's Two Kingdoms. Okay. And that's David Van Drunen. Very excited to read this book. I have not read it yet. I've read articles by him that I've just absolutely loved about two kingdoms. And you know, I'm a big proponent of two kingdoms. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited to read, read this book and to have him on because I think a lot of people have questions about two kingdoms. We kind of talked about some things when we had Ryan Haskins on and but I don't think we talked about two kingdoms specifically. You know, we kind of talked about the practical outworkings of two kingdoms when we had Ryan on. But I don't yeah. think we talked about what it is, what is the idea behind two kingdoms, what in scripture points to this idea. Really, for me, it, it's kind of interesting because for me, I didn't know that some of these things had names. And it really was what I had come to already believe without mm -hmm. understanding that this was an actual yeah. You know, system that people follow so yeah and just so our listeners know i'm i'm still like studying this you know mm -hmm. i i haven't you know i'm not as convinced as you quite yet so um i'm excited to have him on just to hear you know that perspective um and i think even if our listeners don't hold that perspective i think it'll be interesting at least for them to understand what this whole right. two kingdoms thing is and why so, we believe it yeah so, so I'm, I'm excited about that and and I would encourage you to read this book too, because I think, you know, I hear it's it's one of the best books on the subject. And there's some other good books too. And I could probably give you a, a list of some books to well, Ryan gave us some good recommendations. Yeah. So those that would be some other ones to check out. Well, I'm excited today. We're gonna be having we're having another Lutheran on, but you know, I think back to the White Horse Inn was reformed in Lutheran and and they they could focus on the things that they were like minded on. So I, I love, I love my Lutheran brothers and sisters, and we're going to be having our first woman Lutheran and oh. Cindy Koch, and she has written a book called Woman, the Forgotten Story, and just really a wonderful book. And I wanted to announce now, and I'll, I'll remind you guys after the episode, we have been offered a few of her books, and she's, uh, we're going to get a couple signed copies of it, and then... I think another copy also to give away. So if you go to our Facebook page, there will be information on how you can be entered to win one of these few copies. So I'm super excited about that. Um, one thing I love about Cindy's book, and we talk a little bit about in the interview, is her book is so gospel-centered. And I think women's books so often are, here's the list of things that you need to do. And I come across women so often, they're just tired. They can't live up. They feel like they've failed. And really the the thing that they need to be reminded of is the gospel. And I love that really at the end of the day, that is the central theme of Cindy's book. So I'm really excited to have her on. Well, we're gonna go to a little break. We're gonna come back and I talked to Cindy for a little while and then Ashton and I'll be back with our new segment that we're gonna tell you about. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Harmeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening and welcome to Conversations from the Port. Hello and welcome to Living in the Vine. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. 12 podcasts, one network. Check them out at BibleThumpingWingnut.com. So we are back with our guest tonight, which is Cindy Koch, to talk to her about her book, Woman, A Forgotten Story. And I, I think some of our listeners are familiar with you. We're kind of familiar with you for the first time because of your article you write, wrote about women's Bible studies. Oh, sure. That was kind of passed around among some of the women. 
So ladies, I'm going to link that in the episode notes if you didn't see that, but some of you did see that article. I think it was posted in the group and some other places. But just for those that aren't familiar with you, could you share just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a mom and a wife. I live out in California with my five kids. Uh, my oldest is 18 and then my youngest is seven. So we have lots of fun together. Um, love theology. And so uh, ever since the beginning of my marriage with my husband, um, we've just been talking theology and now the kids are into it too. We just have a great time together. So that's, that's kind of my story. Well, and you probably should mention your husband's a pastor. Yes, right. He is a pastor. So liking theology, that, that fits well when your husband's a pastor, I would think. Yeah, we have some interesting conversations around the dinner table, for sure. <laughs> People don't know what great. to do with this sometimes. <laughs> and is, is this your first book that you've published? This is. Okay. Yes. So that's super exciting. So what? why did you write this book? I guess that's really the first question. I kind of know because you talked about it on another podcast, but I think it's a great story. So I think the ladies would like that. Well, um, yeah. So four of my five kids are girls. And um, the first one, you know, kind of came along and we were like, oh, no, a girl, what are we going to do? And then, you know, the second one and then the third one and then the fourth one. And then before we realized, we, we thought, oh, my gosh, we got to figure out this whole girl thing. Um, when my second one was about 18 months old, I started writing this book. Um, you know, I looked at these little girls and I was like, you know, they need to know who they are in this world. And I wish I would have learned how comforting it is to be a woman created in the way that we are. Uh, I wish I would have learned it a lot earlier in my life. And so looking at these little babies, I was like, you know, they need to hear this and they need to hear it from the beginning. So this started a long time ago, writing a story of comfort for my own little girls. Um, and then I, that, that was a long time ago, you know, that was started 15 years uh, way back when they were little babies. But I'm glad I waited this long because um, I kind of watched them grow and struggle with different things. And then, of course, you know, we get older and wiser as well. And um, it, it turned from a research paper into a story uh, that I'm proud to share with the girls. And they're really kind of at the age now where this is something that you're going to want them to have with your girls getting older, huh? Right, stepping out in the world, kind of experiencing these things for the first time. Yeah, for sure. So what is your book about? I think that's probably going to be a big question from our listeners. What is this about? Well, it's the story of woman. Um, and it starts not just with our own birth. You know, everybody kind of looks back at their baby books and thinks that's where their story began. Uh, but really, it starts with the creation of being made woman by God. And so this is a story just from the beginning. You know, who, who are we created to be as women? Uh, moving through terrible fall into sin in the garden. Um, and then from that, we kind of walk through this world as uh, creatures that are less than what God created us to be. And so we're all pretty familiar with the creation story and, you know, the blessings given there and then kind of how it got all messed up. But the next part of the story is kind of my favorite part. Um, I take the metaphors and proverbs, which you may be familiar with, maybe not. But there's this one little part uh, in proverbs in the first, I think it's uh, chapter seven, where you have this onlooker watching a foolish boy kind of walk towards this scary house of the adulteress. Uh, and I take this metaphor and kind of relate it to what Christ did for us. Uh, he walks into this house of um, the evil one. And in the Proverbs metaphor, it just kind of stops there. But in the book, I just took the metaphor, you know, a few steps further because we know the end of the story with Christ, you know. And so he turns around and um, is killed because of walking into this house, into this, you know, evil one. 
And what happens though is three days later, he rises up, he walks out of the house, and he turns around and he's not alone. He puts his hand out and a beautiful bride walks out of the house after him. And so we kind of move through our story from that, the bride being the church, us, believers in Christ, who he rose from the dead for. We walk out of the house of death, kind of in his arms into this world. So the book kind of moves from there uh, into what it, what this world sort of looks like and the things that we deal with. Um, I take the hard passages in scripture that talk specifically to women, and we just look at them. And uh, there are some hard things that we have to deal with. And so we sort of look at them. We, um, we look at the Greek, uh, kind of try to figure out what the author is really referring back to. And, um, and that kind of becomes our story that we're living in today. You know, because we have a hope in the very end that Christ will return and we will actually see the beautiful wedding clothes that he's given us. And so it ends with our hope, which is the new heavens and the new earth being made new in Christ. So that's a, that's a nutshell of the book there. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the book, Cindy, is just the fact that it is so gospel centered. And so, you know, as many of my listeners do, as I know, that so many of the books for women out there are lacking. I think women often desire very practical, give me some steps to follow, to have a better life. And, and so often there are these steps without, without any gospel. And I mean, really almost all law without the gospel. And yeah. I had somebody write me just today, actually, and actually talked about your book to them. And they asked me about a certain author. You know, is there anything heretical in here? And I said, well, there's not anything heretical that I'm aware of, but I fear that there's no gospel in it. And the women that I often hear from are the women who are, they, they're tired. They're, they've been driven into despair because they have received lots of law and little gospel. Why is that so important to our story that the gospel really is central to our story? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's our, it's our identity. It's who we are. Um, and I think that's a big problem that we don't hear really who we are, who we've been made in Christ. We don't hear it a lot from Christian literature. Um, sadly, sometimes we don't even hear it from our friends and from our families. And um, tragically, I mean, I really hope this doesn't happen, but I've heard that we don't even hear it from some of our churches anymore. Uh, but it's, who, who we've been made in Christ has nothing to do with us and what we do. And you're right. I think women are craving just, you know, what can I do? What can I do to make this life better, to make the things, you know, around me just work better? And uh, the missing pieces, well, who, who made you into who you are, which is redeemed which is you know made for a life of eternity and that's always goes back to christ um so the story yeah this story is really gospel focused because it's focused on your identity the things that um, have been given to you and the, the things that have been given to us in creation and then also the things that have been restored by the death and re resurrection of christ so it's all about him not about us well, and you bring up identity, which really is an overarching theme of your book. And I think that, you know, our identity of who we are in Christ. And I think even especially today, we've got so many things, these pressures with what women should look like, who they should be, where they should find their identity. Where should our identity be as Christian women? Where should we find that identity? Oh, definitely. The hardest part, I think, is it's we're finding it in a work outside of ourselves. Um, and that's really hard because we want to do something about who we are. Uh, and again, the world is not helpful. And you know, Satan is pretty tricky too, because he keeps telling us, no, just look inside, just follow your heart, you know, follow your dreams, all that stuff that little girls hold on to. Um, you can be anything you want to be. And I think the the point is, we look outside of ourselves. We look at those gifts given to us. 
Uh, so we find our identity in who God says we are, uh, who God created us to be. And so, you know, Christ comes to us in our sin. We didn't do anything to seek him out, to find him, to make him like us better or anything like that. He finds us. And so then when we look outside of ourselves and see the gifts he's given us and who we've been created and redeemed to be, then that's really where we find comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't want to imply that there's nothing practical in your book because I think there is, but I think it's sent, it's sent, the gospel is central. So in a different way than you find in other books, I think. It's definitely not a focus. Um, I actually take a couple paragraphs to say, this is not a 10 step plan to do it better because I think it's talking about something bigger than just what you do. Um, Another thing I think, I think is uh, kind of unique when we're talking identity is you can find believers, uh, followers, redeemed women in totally different walks of life. You know, we like to focus our fights and battles on things like, Oh, do you stay at home? Oh, do you have a job? You know, those kind of things. I mean, I guess you can get some good discussions out of them, but we're not talking about the important things. We're not talking about who Christ has made both of these women to be. Uh, So I, again, I kind of think that's, you know, Satan using his tricky little words to make us focus on things that really aren't that important. Well, you know, since you bring that up and I have noticed we've talked about in the admins of our group, I've talked about the mommy wars. And Mm. I think so often it's these other things that unite people instead of Christ. So the homeschool moms, the stay-at-home moms, that, you know, we have these different things that unite us instead of, instead of being united in Christ ultimately and first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, um, it makes your community a lot different when, when your identity is what unites you. I think that's a nice way to put it uh, because all of a sudden, you know, where you, where you take your kids to school, whether you keep them at home or you, you know, take them down the street or whatever, uh, that, that's not as big a deal. And you don't need to have those kind of petty little arguments about who's doing it better or that kind of thing. Again, the focus goes back to what you are doing and kind of who's doing it better. And, uh, I, I really think we have a greater unity and, um, we're then, we're able to forgive, I think, a little bit more too, you know, and and bring all of these people kind of into this identity with us because Christ died for the whole world. So uh, let's let's treat the world like he did. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, when I say practical, I actually think there is something practical in that and remembering that it is Christ that unites us. Even, I mean, what else in this world brings people together from from different incomes, different lifestyles, different races, different cultures, brings them together and unites them in something Absolutely. like this? You yeah. know, it's, so I, I think that's a really, really good reminder. And so you had talked about use Proverbs 7. So mm-hmm. why did you choose that passage? Because Proverbs has a lot of these different little metaphors. So oh, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed, well, I've taught through Proverbs twice now. And so I really enjoyed those first nine chapters of Proverbs. Um, they were, they kind of told the story of wisdom and who she was and sort of pitted her against this other scary woman, the adulterous woman. And um, it's so easy to see Christ in the story of Proverbs. Although, you know, he wasn't born of a woman yet, that kind of thing. Everybody was looking towards the same hope. And so we see this these shadows of this righteousness that... Um, that was good for everybody. And so in, in Proverbs, these, you're right, there's lots of fun little metaphors that you could run with. And this one just was too good. You know, this fool, seeming foolish boy walking into the house of death uh, and killed by, you know, the husband that comes home and finds finds him there. Um, it, it, I mean, it's the story of our savior. It's what he did, walked straight into the hands of the evil one. 
And everybody around him was looking and saying, no, don't go, don't walk that way. But he wasn't a fool. He knew exactly what he was doing. He walked into the house of death uh, for you and for me. And so the story, it, it just kept coming up, you know, as I was teaching it. Such a beautiful picture of what our, our Lord did for us. Uh, and again, like I said, we have the end of the story so we can see him walking out of that house, bringing us with him. Uh, so that's that's why that one turned into the centerpiece. I'm actually right now with my ladies at church. We're going through Proverbs 31, which I I am so sorry, women, if you've gone through a Proverbs 31 study before, because I've heard a lot of really terrible studies um, that try to make us into a righteous woman by the things we do and where we go and, you know, what we do with our hands, that kind of stuff. Uh, when you read Proverbs in light of Christ, it means a whole different thing. Somebody has done this for you. Righteousness is given to you. So that one in particular, um, Proverbs 31, has been a joy and kind of a heartbreak all at the same time, seeing what women have, have had to deal with, you know? Yeah. And I think you're right. There's a lot of not so great teaching. Are you a Proverbs 31 woman? You yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah I'm talking about. When I was, when I was looking up some of your articles to link them, did I see that you wrote something about that? Yeah. Not too long and, ago. Right. And I think I'm thinking this sounds familiar. I think I've seen this. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to link that. I'm going to link that. And well, another really important theme in your book is wisdom. And, you know, you've kind of touched on that a little bit. But what, where's wisdom fit into our story? Uh, well, wisdom, uh, this book was kind of written with the perspective um, of Proverbs, where you have wisdom kind of speaking and calling kind of in this sort of mystical way. Uh, that is a character in this book, woman. And so wisdom is always there. So wisdom has been calling. And when you, um, when you read Proverbs, the identity of wisdom, you're kind of thinking, oh, who is this? It sounds a lot like Christ because we have some places in there where wisdom was with God at the beginning, bringing th all things into existence. Uh, kind of going back to like what John 1 says about God, the word being in the beginning with God, the word was God. Uh, so there, there's these all these connections with Christ actually being wisdom. And so you have this word of God that is given as righteousness. I mean, again, that's just Christ all over the place. And so Wisdom fits into the story because it's this word that's passed on from the beginning, from my lips to my daughter's ears, and it's going to be passed on from their lips to their daughter's ears, but this beautiful word of forgiveness and hope in Christ alone. And I mean, that's our, that's our faith, but that is the ultimate wisdom from God as well. Right. And uh, as you keep bringing up, all of this points to Christ, which really is, which really is the important thing here. So, since we haven't talked about men, where do where does man fit into woman's story? Um, that's that's a great question. Well, I mean, he was there, <laughs> or do we fit into his, or how does this all work? <laughs> so, usually, what happens? Um, I think a lot of times the metaphors for salvation are sort of framed in a metaphor of man. Not, not like that's a bad thing at all, um, because we know Christ was a man, and so we sort of have those uh, pictures in our mind. Man was there, created obviously in the beginning, um, graciously by God, given specific gifts, uh, just like woman was given specific gifts. And his job was things like naming and, you know, uh, having dominion over the creation. And so his jobs were really different from hers. And this, this is not a, a story apart from man at all. It's kind of just focused specifically on the metaphor that a woman would kind of understand and appreciate. So in the story, um, gift is, a gift of 
speaking, of protection. Um, again, I said naming because I think naming is a big one. It starts with the animals, but it doesn't just stop there. Uh, if you notice, this is one of my favorite parts in the Genesis story there. Man names all the animals, and you know, he can't find him. God cannot find a helper that corresponds to Adam. And then they go through the, so woman is created. They go through the whole sin thing. She eats the apple, gives the apple to Adam. They fall. Up until that point, woman hasn't had a name this whole time. She's just woman. And she was created um, from the side of man, Adam. After all the curses are given um, from God, you know, everybody's figuring out this world is going to look very different. Uh, God gives that first gospel when he's talking to the serpent. He says, you know, that the, the serpent's head will be crushed and he will come up and crush or bite the heel of the offspring of Adam and Eve. And that's the first kind of shadow that we get that there's going to be a resolution. Christ is going to come and, and kill the serpent, you know, there in Genesis. So after they hear this promise, that's when Adam turns around and he names his wife Eve, which means mother of all the living. So he hears the promise of God and then he turns around and he speaks to his wife. So both of them will always remember this promise. From you is going to come this child that's going to save all of us from this sin. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the naming that Adam continues to do. And I think it even flows into the New Testament where men have been given this charge to speak forgiveness, to name all of God's creation exactly what they should be named, you know, that kind of thing. And so it kind of continues from the very beginning of what his job is as well. I kind of wanted to move on to to talk about your article that you wrote about women's Bible studies, which I actually think fits into this because ultimately it has to do with the lack of the lack of the gospel and so much of of what we do. And I'm going to link this article. It's a wonderful article. I hear from my brother-in-law Ted. It's been especially popular. So people have really um, they've really spoken out about this one. And what was funny is after. After I wrote it, I was like, oh, everybody already knows this. Nobody's going to read this one. And then, uh, I don't know, just the response has been huge, which tells me that this is really a problem that I guess I didn't even really realize. And I should have mentioned the beginning. You know, Cindy is kind of connected to 1517 Legacy. Our, our listeners will know when I had Ted Rosenblatt on from 1517. We had Scott Keith about his book, Being Dad. We had Brian Thomas about his book, Wittenberg versus Geneva. So Cindy is a Lutheran, but we, we love having Lutherans on the show. But I think sometimes, I don't know, and maybe you know this, is I, I don't think it's as common in, in my circles, although it is does happen in my circles, as maybe some of this kind of modern evangelicalism. I mean, do, are you seeing this in your circles a lot? I mean, I'm not out there enough to know how much it is in mine, but. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, and I, I kind of, I'm sure there's all kinds of different reasons why this is happening. Maybe it's always happened and you just get to experience it right now. Uh, but I, I really think a lot of it is um, people don't think sin is as bad as it really is or maybe they're not really as sinful or as bad as they as i think i am <laughs> and so right. without without that you know understanding of how completely messed up we are and how there's no good thoughts and there's no good desires going on in there that there's maybe less of a need for a God dying on the cross for us, you know? So I, I think maybe the root of the problem is it's been, it's been too easy. Uh, there's, there's not been enough discussion about how terrible uh, we really are and how much we really, really, really need a savior. 
Well, and I think we've almost fallen into almost this Tony Robbins Christianity, where mm -hmm. it's kind of self-help Christianity. Right. Um, and I think sometimes the gospel is an afterthought to it. And I think for women, I think it's partly because we desire, we, we really like steps and practical things to follow and, you know, a list of things that we can do so that everything will work out that I think we tend to be um, more focused on that. And sometimes the gospel is an afterthought. But I know just for me and the ladies that reach out to me and so many of them, they're, they're in utter despair. They'll say things like, but I just don't have it together like those women over there. And I want to say those women probably don't have it together like you think they do. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, social media and stuff, that does not help because we get to see everybody's pretty pictures. And uh, we just feel more like, oh, my gosh, why can I not be like them? <laughs> but yeah, I think you're right. We're all in the same boat. We just don't get to see it as much. And yeah, the focus is just, it always goes back to us and what we can do to make ourselves a little bit better. Um, and that's really not who we are. Right. And so let's just kind of talk about how can women, I mean, I don't want to say what practical ways, but <laughs> what, <laughs> trying to think how to word this, but how, how can we be sure, even, you know, if we're, you know, working on, I want to try to keep my house clean or be a better wife or more consistent in my parenting, those sorts of things. How can, how can we do those things while still being mindful of the gospel? Mm -hmm. Because uh, we will fail over and over. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, you know, we want to be better. That's, that's not bad to, to want to do good things for our family. Um, but the, but the motivation comes from this freedom to be able to do it. We actually, we're, we're free to take care of our husband and take care of our kids uh, because, you know, we don't have to worry about if we don't do it well enough, you know, what, what our eternal salvation is going to look like or something like that it actually has nothing to do with that. But then we're also free when we fail, like when I stay in bed all day in my pajamas for whatever reason, you know, that might be, I'm actually free to do that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be punished eternally for that as well. And then we live in these families that where you're free to, you know, be a part of this family and be helpful. But then at the same time, you're forgiven and you're free when you're not that person as well. And so again, it's that identity of um you know where this work even comes from it's not it's not a striving to you know earn our points so that we'll be better people but rather we're just we're free and forgiven no matter what we end up doing and that makes us want to do better for other people yes mm -hmm. the gospel actually has that effect <laughs> yeah that's it that is that is the amazing thing right there is that focusing on the gospel um, gives us a freedom to obey in yeah. in a way that when we're focused on the law, yeah. you know, it's very different. I I did a woman's book group. It wasn't a Bible study, women's book group with a certain book. And and I guess you could have called it Bible studies with our homeschool moms. And the lady had talked about kind of idols that women tend to have, which I think, um, I think she was right in that, you know, well-behaved children. I'll just use that one as an example. Mm -hmm more concerned with, you know, how my, how others perceived my children to be obedient than, than I was with my children's hearts. And the other thing is I talked to Scott Keith about this in his book, Being Dad, which is just wonderful. And, and, and that is the gospel. I think focusing on the gospel helps us to have the gospel in our parenting, to have the gospel in our marriage. I, I think for me, it actually makes me more gracious with my husband oh, sure. um, and and with my children. And when I kind of, thanks to Rod, who's huge influence on my life and my parenting and just kind of the grace-centered parenting, what ended up happening is I was less stressed just having the gospel of central. I was less stressed and my house was more peaceful. It was kind of amazing how that happened. So really the gospel is central, not just to our identity, but it should be central to our parenting and to our marriage. And Oh, yeah. And I, I think that's the hardest thing is um, 
to realize that the gospel will, God's word, you know, it brings about fruit, you know? And so we think, no, no, we have to follow the rules and that's going to bring, that's going to bring about what we want, but rather the freedom in Christ actually brings about this amazing these amazing people, you know, and then we can forgive each other and move on and it's peaceful. Uh, there's all these benefits for, that come from the gospel that um, it, it almost kind of seems like it shouldn't come from the gospel. It seems like, oh no, these free people aren't going to, they're going to do anything. They're just going to go the other way. Uh, but it is a definitely a special kind of freedom that comes from the word of God. Yeah, I have a Mormon next door neighbor and she'll often come and ask us just questions about our faith. And she mm -hmm. came over one day and said, I just have this question. If you don't have to obey, why do you, you know, and yeah. <laughs> we just gave the gospel and we explained, you know, we explained yeah. sanctification and, you know, we don't obey to maintain, to obtain or maintain our justification. We obey right. because he's at work in us. We obey out of gratitude and but that we are free and she just looked at us and said i have that's really neat i've just never heard anything like that before and i just thought yeah. wow it kind of kind of is but that is the know, difference yeah between the law and the gospel and it just flows mm -hmm. from who you are yeah absolutely absolutely and i i will tell you if i get lots of letters from women the most common thing they write to me about is assurance and i think mm -hmm. The reason is because they are so surrounded with this law and list of do's and don'ts and things you must do. I think a lot of times, have you proven that you're a Christian by how many good works you do? And I think one thing that happens is as you grow in your faith, the more you see your sin. So God is working on you. You might not see the reality of it all the time. Yeah. Um, because as you're drawing close to Christ, you even more see why well, I'm really worse than I thought I was. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a good thing. You, yeah. <laughs> but I think I'm, I'm really thinking that understanding the gospel and, and where it fits into our identity, where it fits into our life will help us, helps people with struggles of assurance. Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, it's based off of something you talk about assurance, you know, it's based off of something bigger than us, stronger than us. Uh, it's not based on just what we're going to be able to accomplish or even what we understand. But realizing just who we've been made. It's that simple. And we're actually he's going to accomplish things with us. Uh, just because that's who we are. That's freedom. That's crazy. Right. It's freedom. <laughs> And because he tells us in his yeah. word, he will. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, and I, oh, I wanted to mention, because I forgot it mentioned at the beginning, ladies, we actually talked to my brother-in-law today and he, we have a free copy of Cindy's book to give away. So definitely check out the post on this episode so you can enter into that because I know a lot of you are going to be really interested. And if not, I'm also going to link where you can buy this wonderful book. So Cindy, this is something I'm wondering, is there going to be any more books by Cindy Koch in the future? Oh, definitely. Yeah, this has just been so much fun. You know, I am working on um, right now, I'm working on this story, uh, a newer version that's actually made for like preteen girls because I've okay. had a lot of requests from women saying, I want to put something in the hands of my young girls that we can talk about as they grow. And I'm like, oh, that would be really fun. So I still have a couple preteen girls around my house. Um, and I'm just sort of, you know, condensing the story. Let's put it like that. I'm condensing it and making it a little bit uh, easier language to understand. And hopefully we'll have some beautiful artwork and things like that for them. So the story you, know what, you bring up something I should have asked you before. If, if we have women out there saying, Oh, I want my daughters to read this. What, what age is this? What age are your daughters reading this? What is it geared towards? Yeah, this is definitely a more mature audience type book. Uh, so my older daughters are reading this, although it was inspired by them when they were little, it, it does deal with, um, it deals with some more complex themes and there's, you know, we're going, we're walking into an adulterer's, adulteress's right. house here. So, I mean, there's a little, there's a little piece in there that, you know, maybe you don't want your little girls reading. Uh, 
but I think the it's a story that we will all grow into and it sometimes it has to be a little bit harsh so definitely it's for the older girls um, maybe like as they're starting to experience some of these uh, hardships you know and looking around the world and starting to see oh this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be right this great book to kind of give them comfort and hope as they're walking through this kind of dark and scary place. So actually I should ask you, what have your, what have the response been from your daughters? <laughs> well, they like it. Um, my one daughter, she, she, as she was reading it, she kept saying, mom, this is intense, <laughs> which it is. I, I mean, like I said, they're complex themes and you got to go down to the depths if you're going to be talking about, you know, Christ and what he did for us. So it does, it gets a little intense, but um, they've, they've enjoyed the journey. <laughs> That's great. And you know what? I love that you're going to put something together for younger teen girls. That is something um, yeah, I see in a group. A lot of times people say, is there anything for my younger teen girls to read? I don't think there's really a lot out there geared at them. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I know of. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes you have little, you know, stuff for little kids. And then I think sometimes older older women can read other stuff, too. They can read adult stuff. So, And this is something, ladies, I mean, if you're a woman, you're going to benefit from it, you know, no matter what age that you are. So um, I'm going to link every everything there. And also, I'm actually going to link, I've been reading you at Jagged Word, you know, since probably since you started writing over there. Oh, so yeah. I'm going to link a few of my favorite Cindy Koch articles from Jagged Word. There's one in particular. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. That's one of my favorites. So I'm going to link that for for our ladies. And awesome. so you can find her at thejaggedword.com. You can find her at, at 1517 Legacy. I'm going to link them both in the episode notes so well thank you cindy so much for joining us and we will be right back looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach look no further at trackplanet.com we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out they are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available with over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's T-R-A-C-T-Planet.com, coupon code BTWN. Ashley and I have been trying to figure out what to call this new segment. And, and we're really at a loss. And I think at this point, we need to ask our listeners for some ideas. Ashley, don't you think? Yeah, I was really hoping to come up with this awesome, catchy name, and it just didn't happen. So, right. <laughs> everything we came up with was like, yeah, no. So, I think so good. No, I think I want to tell you about what we're doing, and also want to tell you what the segment is not going to be. But we kind of want to talk about a bad theology that we find online every week. What it's not going to be is what Ashley and I were talking about in the beginning. We're actually not going to say, look what Tim Keller said this week. In fact, we're not even going to say where we found this bad thing, but we're going to, it'll be a tweet or something from Facebook or maybe even from an article, something that is an example of the bad theology that just floats that around. Yeah. So we're not, we don't want to name anyone specifically anything like that. We just want to talk about the theology and why it's, why it's right. bad. So this will not be, will not be a theology gal shaming segment. Um, no, but just, no shaming. There is a lot of bad theology out there. And, you know, a lot of times people will post examples in our group or things that they used to believe. And so I, I'll give an example that I saw on Facebook and I, I won't say where, but um, some people will know. But someone told a story and I think she was at the state fair and there was some sort of um, booth of Christian organization, and they were giving 
those, you know, those bead gospel bracelets. Have you ever seen those, Ashley? Are they like the ones where like most of them are clear and one of them isn't? Or no, is that this else? one is like, it starts, I think, black because your heart is black as sin. And oh, then, or I think I it starts see. with green that God created everything. And, and then, then sin tainted it black. Yeah. And then the blood oh, of Christ. Okay. Then white makes you white as snow. And then yellow so that one day you go to heaven. Something like Glory. that. Yeah. Okay. 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 Interesting. And, and there's not anything inherently wrong with that as long as the gospel is being presented clearly. But she said that somebody said that our sin kind of separates us from God. Huh. Just, just kind so, of. Kind of. So she kind was of. she was selling these beads and then yeah, saying yeah, i don't remember exactly she was part of this christian organization that was oh, i think they were giving them away but, okay. um, but i just thought that was interesting kind of separates us from god and i think the thing that i thought of first is i think so often this low view of sin okay we have a very high view of god's grace and the gospel because we understand how horrible sin is mm -hmm. because we understand right. that before a holy god without without the forgiveness of our sins through the death and resurrection of Christ and, and mm -hmm. his righteousness imputed to us. Without that, we, we are hopeless. We are separated from God and we are without hope because we understand even our smallest sins are wicked before a holy God. Yeah. So, yeah, I see this a lot because it, it's – I think, well, it's funny because as you were saying, we have a high view of grace and we do, but we, we also have a high view of ourselves and unfortunately, and so we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, say that we're totally depraved, that we're completely undeserving of God's grace um, and that without Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, we would be left, you know, we would be condemned. And so um, I think that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, but I think that it needs to be swallowed because, I mean, I grew up going to church uh, and I didn't really understand that I was a sinner until I was about 20 years old. And I think that's because nobody really talked about sin. Uh, they just talked about uh, God's grace and um, God's love and his goodness and not that those aren't you know attributes of God they're just not the only attributes you know I never knew about God's wrath you know I seriously had never really heard about God's wrath and I remember reading the Old Testament when I was younger and being kind of confused when it talks about like fearing the Lord and like God's anger, anger towards sin and things like that. Like I was just like, that's really not the God I've heard about, you know, at my church and at my Christian school and stuff. God so is, yeah, exactly. Right? That's kind of the message I heard and it left me, you know, empty and unsaved, you know? So it's like downplaying sin might seem like a appealing way to wrote people in you know it it's like you don't really want to talk about sin because like people are going to be like yeah okay so you're just going to talk to me about me being a bad person i don't really want to hear the gospel you're talking about but the problem is, is it's just not true right and that's not actually gonna lead to anything you know it's just gonna lead to people being self-assured and have a false sense of Salvation. Uh, salvation. Yeah, salvation. I mean, it's kind of this message that, you know, we're, we're all pretty good people. We just need a little boost. You know, Jesus yeah. just offers us a little bit of a boost. Um, yeah. Because, you know, we've got some things wrong. <laughs> right. You know? And But really, understanding just how horrible we are, how uh -huh. horrible our sin is. Um, I mean, really, if you want to be honest in that little gospel bracelet is, you know, it makes, <laughs> we're black. We are black. Yeah. And we are, we, what's necessary is the death of Christ, which, you know, his blood, which washes away our sins and his perfect life, which clothes us in his righteousness through faith mm -hmm. in him. I would suggest to anyone who has a low view of sin. Well, first of all, in scripture, we see it everywhere. But John Owen's mortification 
I, I have to carefully say sin because of the podcast, Mortification <laughs> of Sin. Um, John Owen's Mortification of Sin. We went through that with my last church in Sunday school. And yeah, if you have a low view of sin, you should read John Owen. Also, I mean, any of the Puritans, really. The Puritans really got sin. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sometimes oh, sometime the Puritans had a too great of an emphasis yeah. on obedience. Too, but, yeah. Um, you know, I, I know this doesn't completely fit into this, but I actually had sent this quote to Cindy because we were talking after the podcast. And I love this. Quote. This is one of my very favorite quotes. And it's, it's from Martin Lloyd-Jones. And and there, there's a reason it does fit into what we're talking about. But and R. Scott Clark posted it a while back. But he says it's a very good universal rule that and my last word of all is, again, a word primarily to preachers. Indeed, it's a word to everybody in the sense that if you are ever I'm sorry, if ever you are putting the gospel to another person, you've got a very good test whether you're preaching the gospel in the right way. What's that? Well, let me put it like this to you. If your presentation of the gospel does not expose it to the charge of antinomianism, you are probably not putting it correctly. And because we understand how great sin is and how amazing God's grace is, and this is a charge that happens a lot in Reformed and Lutheran circles. What, you know, you don't have to obey, you know, to like obtain this or maintain your salvation, you antinomian. But understanding how great our sin is and then understanding how amazing God's grace is and that not, we're, nothing's required of us. Now, that does not mean, I mean, of course, in the Reformed side, we believe that that God, the Lord is working inside your life. But that I think so often, even in our own circles, sometimes is this message, you know, have you done enough good works to prove that you're really a Christian? Or, you know, maybe I'm not really a Christian because I'm falling into sin sometimes or this sort of thing. Right. Instead of understanding that we really have this free gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you said that really well. I don't really have anything to add to that. Um, <laughs> I love that, was, that quote. And I was, yeah. I'm like, I, I got to fit this in. I'm, I'm not going to try to follow up Martin Lord. Yeah. Anything, <laughs> anything intelligent. So. Yeah. I, it, and I, I can put this, I can put a link to that quote um, in, in this episode. So uh -huh. what we need is we need you ladies to send us some really great ideas for what we're going to call this new segment. Yeah, we're out of ideas right now. It's just the new segment. And yeah, that doesn't really have a nice ring to it. No, uh, doesn't sound you know exciting. What? If you see some bad theology online, feel free to send that to us. Maybe we'll use it. Yeah. Now, I wanted to mention because some people have asked: Is we are going to be continuing our series on complementarianism? Super excited! I think we got Amy Bird next week. Awesome. Be talking about her new book, and which really we're going to be talking about women in the church. And we've gotten a lot of questions since the episode, what can women do in the church? So we're going to talk about that. You know, we talked about we don't think women should be pastors, but but there, but women have a place in the church, and there's much that women can do in the church. And we talked yeah. about that. And then we're going to do kind of a wrap up for this series on complementarianism because it will come up again. But we're going to do kind of a wrap up question and answer. We're going to answer some of your questions because we've gotten a lot of questions since our first and second ones. And if you haven't listened to them, the first one was complementarianism. The second one with Wendy Elsop was the Genesis 316 controversy on, um, you know, about the interpretation of Genesis 316. And and then we're going to be talking about women in the church and, and then answering your questions. And you know what? Please text us or send us a, leave us a voicemail. All of our con or email us. All our contact information is at the website, BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Click on Theology Gals. Click on any episode. You will see our contact information. So if you have questions, but we'd love to have some voicemail. Otherwise, I'm going to take your questions and have my friends call the voicemail. Yeah. And and ask them just so we can have something to play. Yeah. <laughs> really, we, we're excited to kind of answer some of those questions because I know there's so much to talk about. You know, Ashley and I joked that we'd have like 42 episodes on complementarianism because there's just so much. There's a lot of really bad stuff within it, um, some extremism within it. And we so there's a lot of different things to talk about. I think other than that, if you want to support us, 
that there's a link to our Patreon. And I wanted to announce, I actually taped a episode or an episode, of, I don't know, six weeks ago with Tim Hurd and Frank Mullis and I, a couple more people were there. I cannot, I can't remember at the moment. And we actually talked a little bit more about abuse in the church. And that episode was a supporters episode for Bible Thumping Wingnut. And so I asked Tim, hey, I want that episode for my supporters too. I do uh -huh. think the plan, at least Tim mentioned it. I don't know. If, I'm not positive, but I think the plan is to release that for everyone at some point. And Frank Mullis, he's, he's just really an expert on um, a lot of abuse stuff too. So he has so many great things to say. So I'll be releasing that this week, probably Tuesday or so. And I'll start doing something every couple of weeks, you know, something special for that. I think that's it. And oh, before I forget, if you want to have a chance for one of Cindy's books, please go to our page and you'll see information. You just need to comment and share the post for this episode, like our page, and you'll be in the running. We've got a few to give away. And if you don't win one, please go buy one. You can go to 1517legacy.com to their shop and buy it there, but it's also on Amazon. So definitely check out her book. And I think that's it, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>